best chance of the year for a pastor to preach short. <laughs> we got when, when vacation is looming, you know. But I wouldn't hold your breath, right? Brother Phillips said, are you excited about going? I said, I'm trying not to think about it. I got an assignment from God to finish first. So. Amen. Amen. And uh, praise God. So in uh, Matthew chapter 7, I'm going to pray. We're going to start in verse number 24. And we're going to jump with the Lord's help back into our series of ministry and teaching on the family. Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, I've done my best to prepare myself. But I'm just ever dependent on your grace and ability. Uh, to function, praise God, on any level, much less a high level, in that pastoral anointing and office. I make a demand on that office. I thank you, Father, for the anointing and grace to preach and to teach, that you'll help me to speak the word clearly, concisely, a word in due season for every precious person that's here today. But God, we also acknowledge that I, I'm not the only one in the mix here, that God's utterance is greatly affected by those in the room. And how honorable they are. And how hungry they are. And how attentive they are. And how responsive they are. And so Lord I thank you that just as equally as you would anoint me for my part. That you've anointed them and are helping them to be uh, skillful in their part. To not be distracted. Uh, to be hooked on with me. And to be active receivers of that which you are endeavoring to impart to us. We just thank you for all kinds of miracles. All kinds of uh, answered prayer, all kinds of wonderful change going on in every area of our lives in this season. We give you all the praise and the glory for all the good that is wrought in our lives, in our midst. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Praise God. Well, for our visitors, if you've not been here the last uh, little bit, uh, we're pretty new in a series on the family, marriage and family. We're calling it Building the Family. You know, a family doesn't just appear. You know, a healthy marriage just doesn't show up. It's not an accidental thing. They're built. Just like a church is built. Just like a, a congregation is built. Uh, amen. The Bible calls us God's building. Did you know that? In Corinthians, we are called God's building. Paul said that much of his ministry was used by the Lord to lay foundation in believers' lives. But then once a foundation is laid, and he said explicitly, the foundation of every believer's life is Jesus Christ. Amen. The person having a relationship with Jesus. That's your foundation. I firmly believe you can't do anything as it ought to be done without the foundation of Jesus being in your life. You can't pray right, can't go to church right, can't love right, can't be a good... I, you know, I'm a better dad because I have Jesus in my life. I'm a better husband because I have, uh, you know, my own walk with Jesus. And when I get out of line as a husband, I have Jesus to say, hey man... What's that all about? You need to get yourself in there and repent. Okay, here I go, you know. And amen, He keeps our lives on track. He blesses our lives. And uh, praise God. But we also know from, you're in Matthew, you just parked right there. Uh, amen. But we know from John chapter 1, verse 1, John chapter 1, verse 14, that Jesus is called the Word. He is the Word. He is the living Logos. Amen. And so from Genesis to Revelation, all the word is inspired of God and is encompassed in Jesus. And so praise God. So if we're going to say that a great foundation is Jesus, then you could say to have a great foundation, that's got to include the word. Amen. 
So we are going to build our families from, from whatever condition you find them in right now. Right? You know, you may have a really solid, happy, fulfilling Christian marriage and home. But you know, in my home, my, my, my home's solid, but my kitchen's dated. My kitchen is nice, but it screams the 90s, you know. And my bathrooms are dated. And they work and they're functional. Amen. But I want them to be fresh. So maybe you have a great marriage and a great family, but maybe it needs a, a, a fresh coat of paint on the thing just to refresh it. Glory to God. Make it even more fulfilling and more enjoyable to be married, to be a mom, to be a dad, to be in a family dynamic, to be a grandparent, whatever it is. You know, if you're a single mom, you know, or dad, God wants you to succeed at that. He does. He wants you to succeed at that. And, and that is so possible. You know, this weekend we're celebrating uh, the engagement of one of my own. Praise God. She doesn't like to be the center of attention, she said, so I'm thinking about calling her up here. I don't even see her in the building. Praise God. No, I'm going to clarify. Sister Melissa, Sister Melissa, and uh, but she's been a victorious single parent for some years. But you know she's been standing; she just done it right. And, and God sent her a good one. And Brother Carl, and they got engaged yesterday. And come on, we're excited about that. Praise God! Congratulations. And so, see, in a in a church like this, we've got people just beginning, just beginning. We got young people coming up, thinking about that day. But, you know, we got the Heltons over here, and they're about to celebrate 50. Is that right? Come on. In November? Come on. Listen, come on. I'm celebrating that. 50 years. Anybody in here today, you've already got more than 50? Oh, praise God. See, you're going you're gonna to be our standard bearer here pretty quick. Praise God. But what I'm saying is, is that wherever you find yourself, I don't care if you find yourself on the brink of divorce this morning. I'm believing God's going to do a miracle. I believe in healing miracles, but I believe in family miracles. Amen. And some of you have already experienced family miracles. And you're a living testimony of the blood of Jesus, the power of forgiveness, the power of not quitting, of staying at it, letting God's love work through you. Amen. Praise God. So let's look at this again. Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. Such powerful words. You could apply these principles to every single facet and area of your life. Jesus said, therefore, whosoever hears these sayings of mine, or the word, right, and does them. So there's two things here. He said you have to hear and do. This is the key. Hearing and doing what God's word says, what Jesus has taught us. Amen. Well, for those that do that, Jesus himself said, I will, God will liken unto him, count him as unto a wise man or woman, which built his house, we're going to say marriage or family, upon a rock. And the rain descended and the floods came and the wind blew and beat on that house. You thought, well, I thought if I did the word, I would never have any rain. No. I wish that were true. I wish that if we had enough faith and we're... We walked in line with the Word of God so closely that we could avoid all the wind and all the rain and all the Satan schemes, but no, that's not it. Yet. Right? The, you know, all of the storms of life are going to come to all of us, sinner and saint alike. 
The difference is what ha- the outcome. We're not promised. In fact, we are promised in this world we're going to have trouble. In this world, we're going to have tribulation. So we're promised that of the Lord. But we are also promised if we do it His way, if we build on the right foundation, we're going to overcome. We're going to be more than conquerors. You know, it is a sad truth today. Statistics prove out in America by far that our 30 and under generation, they're not getting married. They don't have the hope of marriage. They, they've given up on it. They don't think it's necessary. Uh, and a lot of, t- you know, they don't, they just, for whatever reason, they don't think they need to or want to. It's a sad thing because God created marriage. You know, God's ideal for most of us. Now, like Paul, there are going to be a few people on the planet that because of their grace and their bent and the assignment of God on their life, that they'll be graced to be celibate and single. But for the vast majority of humans, their highest state, their most fulfilled state, will be in a married state. And statistics bear this out. You know, I've studied this out. For men, for example, they're going to live several more happy, healthier years than their single counterpart. To be married, for men, is healthy. God knew what He was saying when He said it's not good for Adam to be alone. Right? Amen. And the same sort of stats show up for the lady. Uh, Praise God. And uh, so anyway, uh, but what I was going to say about people not getting married, they don't have any hope that they can have success. But I want to tell you today that you have a 100% chance of succeeding in marriage if you'll do it God's way. If you will do it God's way, you have a 100% chance of going the distance. I'm going the distance with one one woman. Amen. Amen. I'm not looking for anybody else. Hallelujah. We're going to run this race to the end, get raptured together. (laughs) Amen. Praise God. And so anyway, I want to be counted a wise person. I want my family and my marriage to make it through the wind and the rain. Well, you have to hear and do. But then there's the contrast, verse 26 and 27. And Jesus went on and said, And everyone that hears these sayings of mine and does not do them. Is is that your choice? Is that your option? Of course it is. You can. God gives everyone the choice. You can hear and do. You can hear and ignore. Ignore and override. So what a lot of people do. So you are free. We are all free to make our choice. What we are not free in is the outcome. The outcome is set. The outcome is determined according to divine spiritual law. You don't have to be a prophet to look at a couple and look at their lifestyle and be able to look into the future and to determine the outcome. Doesn't mean necessarily they're bound to get divorced. They might stay to the end, but they're going to be miserable. They're not going to have the blessing and the joy and the fulfillment. Amen. On their marriage, even if they stay, stay together, praise God that the couple that builds their marriage on the Word will have. Hallelujah. This is, otherwise, if this, is, if this can't be counted, this is black and white. This is hardcore. This is the way it is. And if it's not that way, then Jesus lied. Or, or, he, or he wasn't 
His word wasn't powerful enough to, to be what he said it would be. I don't believe that, do you? So you could just evaluate, you could judge yourself right now as a husband, as a wife, as a whatever, and you say, well, I, I can determine my future right now based on what I've been doing. Amen. Praise God. Or, oh, and, and this is the whole hope of the Lord, that if you look and see, and, you know, my God, I got my house, I got my marriage built on the sand. Well, it's like I said in a recent service, you know, just like we've got technology now, you can jack up a house and move it. Right. If you just make a new decision, you say, no more, I'm going to hear and I'm going to do. Then the Holy Ghost will lift your marriage off the sand and put it on the rock. Lift your family off the sand and put it on the rock. But you know, I can't, I can't pray you into something that your choice has said you don't want. I can't pray your marriage into bliss if you've chosen not to be a doer of the word. Only you can do that. Young person, I, I would save you the hell of rebellion. I would save you the hell that I went through because I didn't have honor and I didn't have a spiritual foundation in my life. You can go out and rebel. You can, you can tear it up. You can sleep it around. You, you can do all that other people are doing. And I can't pray you into a great life if you won't choose as a young person to be a doer of the word. You know, young people, don't think that God gives you a pass. That you get a... You get a pass that none of these spiritual truths count until you reach adulthood. I like the way one minister put it. She said to her young people in a class, she said, you could choose to rebel and disobey your parents and you know, be a problem all you want. But you're not going to be exempt from what the word says about children. Children ought to honor and obey their parents. And if they will, they'll have a long life on this earth and things will go well with them. But if you choose to do otherwise, you are just shaving good days and good years off of your life. Young people are not exempt from these spiritual truths. But thank God the same mercy that the adults tap into, the kids tap into. The same blood that cleanses the adults cleanses the young person. Amen. Trying to read these verses. So everyone that hears these sayings of mine and does them not is a fool. Which built his house on the sand. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house. And it fell and great was the fall of it. Now is it really this simple? It has to be. If the word is true, it has to be. Let me say this to you. Victory in life. I don't care what area you want to think about today. Victory in life comes down to a simple choice. Victory is not as elusive as human beings want to make it out to be. If you were to ask someone, why are things not going good for you? Most people will launch out into a litany of woe. They will tell you their, their tale of woe. And if they're like most humans... They will point in all kinds of different directions and they will not point here. Very few would be the person to say, well, I'll tell you why things are not going well in my life. I'm not a doer of the word. <laughs> Most people are not going to be that honest. Most people have a pocketbook full of excuses. 
Well, that's how I was raised. Well, my parents. Well, the... I can't hold on to this thing. Uh, I, think I, I think I give up. <laughs> Hallelujah. Maybe he doesn't want me reading these notes. I don't know. And, uh, okay, now where was I? Praise the Lord. Excuses. A pocket full of them. And he's going to point everywhere. But according to the Bible, victory in marriage is a choice. Victory in parenting is a choice. And it's true, you can be a victorious Christian, you can be victorious over the devil, you can be victorious over sickness and disease, over poverty and lack, over depression, over everything that the world is just failing in, if we'll just make a simple choice. I'm not going to read the Bible to make myself feel religious. I'm not going to read the Bible to check off a box. I'm going to read the Bible to find out how to live. I'm going to get in the Bible and I'm going to find out what a husband looks like. I'm going to get in the Bible and find out what a wife looks like. I'm going to get in the Bible and find out what being pastored looks like. What going to church right looks like. And it's that person that does that, not for a day, not for a month, not for a week, but they say, this is my life. This is my life. Coming to church to hear the Word so I can know what to do. Not to just say amen and forget it by the time I get to the parking lot. But you take the truths and the principles and you go and you do your best to apply them. Father, help me to apply what pastor taught me today. That person that does that as a lifestyle will win. They will win. The smell and the wonderful fragrance and odor of victory will be all over everything they touch. Even if the other spouse won't do it, that spouse will have joy, that spouse will have peace, that spouse will have the blessing, that spouse will have God's approval on their life. Even if the other spouse chooses a different way. Amen. I've decided, you know, I'm not leaving my marriage. One time the Joneses, we were in a marriage group, and (laughs) Sister Penny spoke up. And she said, here's our attitude about it. There might be a killing, but there will not be a divorce. (laughs) Might be a killing, but there will not be a divorce. You're still here. (laughs) By the grace of God, Deacon Russell is still here with us. What she's saying, she's conveying an attitude. Amen. We're committed. Amen. 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 And I, like I've said in previous services, I can't make the other person's choice for them, but I can make mine. Amen. I can hold true to mine. But what makes life sweet is when the other one has the same attitude. Amen. Amen. Oh, praise God. That's the way we want it to be. And you know, if you've been that spouse or that member of the family that has not yet made that choice, you should. Right? Like, come on. Amen. Do your part. So you can have heaven in your house. Amen. Children can grow up in a home that is fun to be in. Yeah. And... uh, Children can 
can grow up in an atmosphere where there's safety and there's security and there's communication. Right? And there's a regard for people's feelings and thoughts and there's consideration. Right? Amen. These things are possible if we will just make a choice. Amen. Well, we've got to move into something here. Let's go over to 1 John chapter number 4. So for the last service or two, what I've been focused on, I haven't yet launched out to address specific relationships in the family, family dynamic. I, I trust that the Lord will have me do that. But I've been talking about principles from the Word that are foundational, that apply to every member of the family. I really don't care what your station is in life. Amen. These are foundational if you want to live a life that is blessed and pleasing to God. We've been talking about the love of God. Amen? The love of God. And I, I want to repeat something that many of you were not here uh, able to hear on Wednesday. I am continuing this service when I'm here on Wednesday nights, which is most Wednesdays, so you're going to miss half the series if you can't come. If you can't come on Wednesdays, be sure to listen to the podcast. Amen. And uh, praise God. But I made this statement. Uh, praise God, that selfishness is the great destroyer of all human relationships. If a relationship uh, is broken apart or destroyed, it is because of selfishness. Doesn't have to be both parties, but if a single person in that relationship is selfish enough, they will destroy that relationship. And uh, we have to understand that just in our fleshly nature, you brought your flesh with you, I see. I did too. That our fleshly nature is inherently selfish. Selfishness and sin dominates the flesh, even in the believer. The only part of the believer that has been perfected and touched is our spirit, thank God. Our spirit has been born again and has God on the inside of it. And that's why this war begins in a, in a new Christian. They're like, I don't, man... I feel like two people. I'm at war with myself. Yeah, welcome to, the, welcome to Christianity. Because now you have God in your spirit, but you have sin in your flesh. And so your flesh wants to go the way it's always gone. Your unrenewed mind wants to go the way it's always gone, which is me, 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 I, 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 selfish, selfish, what I want. But now you have the, God, the love of God on the inside of you. And it wants to give and give and be right and bless others. And be patient and be kind. Amen. Hallelujah. And so now we have to decide which part of our being, moment by moment, are we going to yield to? What we all have to learn is to have a home and a marriage dominated by the love of God. We all have to develop that love and begin to yield to it instead of our selfish nature. Listen, if I let my selfish nature run wild, I'll destroy my marriage. You know, it's the, that's the thing about the, self, the sin nature in the flesh. It will destroy itself. I mean, the flesh will eat donuts till it dies. <laughs> it's not like the flesh will ever say, I'm hurting myself. I should stop. It will just say, give me another, please. Sprinkles on it this time, you know. So the fleshly part of us must be restrained. Yes. And this is what you signed up for. You didn't know it when you said yes to Jesus, but this is what you signed up for. Mm -hmm. The constant putting down and restraining 
of the forces at work in your unrenewed being that would destroy everything God wants to bless in your life. Marriage, marriage is not about happiness. Let me clarify. (laughs) Marriage is not about my happiness. For me, my marriage to me is making her happy. No one has God's amen who leaves a marriage because they aren't happy. You think you do. You justify it. You have all kinds of excuses and arguments. But no one leaves a marriage with God's amen, yes and amen on it, that leaves because they are not happy. Because you have to go back to your covenant. You have to go back to the moment, wherever you were. What did you say about your happiness when you made your vows? I know you wish now you could go back and amend them. We need to have a constitutional family convention here and amend our constitution. But what did I say? For better or worse, till death do us part, I will and we start listing off things I will do. Right. That's the commitment we made. To perform that faithfully our whole life long. And we didn't say, I didn't say, and I will do this as long as you do it. Right. People, would, people would go, what did he say? Yeah, I, I, I'm going to be faithful to you. As long as I feel like it. (laughs) That's not how that goes, right? No. See, from the beginning, see, we're not paying attention. We're glassy eyed, (laughs) we're in our emotions, we're thinking about the honeymoon, right? And we're not thinking about not having that loving feeling. Can't imagine it at that moment. And so people jump out of marriages into new marriages because they want something new. The problem is that new one isn't going to stay new very long. You're going to find out the new one has bad breath in the morning. You're going to find out the new one. Their feet stink too. You may find out they got quirks and kinks the other one did not have. Nothing stays new very long. Most people say they love that car until for about 30 days. And then the first payment comes in. And the shine on the paint is just not quite as shiny. Right? No, marriage is about being faithful. Marriage is about giving. Marriage is about contributing. Marriage is about keeping promises. Now, of course, in God's ideal, 
I'm going to do that, and she's going to do that. I'm going to work to meet her need. She's going to work to meet my need. And in a dynamic like that, wow, everybody is happy. But marriages break down quickly when one decides they're not doing it to my satisfaction, so I'm out of here. What is that? That is selfishness. Selfishness, I'm going to say it again, is the great destroyer of all human relationships. Lucifer took a third of the heavenly host to hell with him because he decided to be selfish. And I want you to notice, God didn't hesitate. He kicked out of heaven the one who decided to be selfish. You have to leave and violate the nature of God, the very nature of who God is, to be selfish even for a moment. Amen. Yeah, absolutely. Ushers, I think we've got the temperature where we'd like to have it. First John chapter 4. Y'all okay today? We're going to talk a little bit more about love. Amen. Amen. Before we go. First John chapter 4. I want you to notice this uh, verse here. First John 4. He that, and verse 8. Uh, let's, let's read 7 and 8. Beloved, what's it say? Let us love one another. For love is of God, and everyone that loves is born of God and knows God. He that loves not knows not God. Amen? For God is love. God is love. The true mark, the, the, the proof of your Christianity that you really do have a relationship with God, is that you have love for people. You have love, divine love, for one another. Now, as time permits, I'll just introduce this, introduce this but love, this kind of love requires definition. Because, see, we can sit here and just think, when I say the word love, and you put a human, personal, selfish, worldly definition on love, the Greek word here, this was originally written in Greek, does not say the word love. It does, but it doesn't. In the Greek language, they had several Greek words for love. Amen? This word is agape. Agape is the only, the only time agape is ever used is in reference to the love of God, God's love. Therefore, you could define agape this way, the God kind of love. Not your kind, not my kind, not humankind, not Dr. Phil's kind, not Oprah's kind. Yeah, not your favorite uh, Instagram influencer kind. That's all selfish. Amen? So let's read it this way. Beloved, verse 7, beloved, let us love one another with the God kind of love. For the God kind of love is of God, and everyone that loves God's way is born of God and knows God. He that does not love with the love of God, trying to clarify for you, amen, uh, praise God, what? Does not know God, for God is love. God equals sign love. That's what He is. Amen. And uh, so you think about all the different things you've read about in the Bible, Old and New Testament. And then 
filter that through God is love. So God drowning Pharaoh and his army in the Red Sea was a manifestation of divine perfect love. That's hard to accept, isn't it? In the mind. But we don't want an earthly emotional definition of love. We want the God. If God is love, then everything he does is born out of love. See, there's a side of love this generation doesn't want to accept. And that is, love is not permissive. Love does not rejoice where there's sin. Love does not accommodate compromise. Love is not permissive. You know, if, if just hypothetically, I said, parent, parent A, why do you permit that among your child? Oh, you know, I... I know that's wrong, but, you know, I just love them so much. No, you don't. No, you don't. I don't know really what's at work in you. But you, love would correct that child. Love would, love would deal with that. Love would call wrong, wrong. A lot of parents want to spin and justify their children's actions because, my God, that's little Johnny, that's mine. No, listen, wrong is wrong. And parents ought to be able to call something wrong, wrong. And if you don't do it, how are you going to define? You're going to let the world define for them? There's nothing wrong out there. There's nothing wrong out there. You'd be a girl today and a boy tomorrow. There's nothing wrong with that in the world of the, in the mind of the world. But in my home, wrong is wrong and right is right. And I love you and I love you enough to say, you're wrong. See, love corrects. It was love when God violently kicked Lucifer out of heaven. Well, that didn't work out too good for Lucifer. He shouldn't have done it, but what God was doing in love was protecting everybody else. If I had one child become a sour apple, they're gone. If they won't correct themselves, change, because you're not going to corrupt my other two. And I've counseled parents over the years a few times to do exactly that. None of them did, and they all... All the other children were corrupted because they wouldn't really love. Because in their mind, love is weak and love is permissive. And love lets stuff go. That's not how God is. No. <laughs> oh, glory. I'm telling you, though, the true mark of Christianity is love. The true test of your, how genuine is your walk with God is not the anointing on your life. It's not the answered prayer. It's what kind of love do you walk in? You know, as many uh, people know that uh, we've had a love and an affiliation uh, for Brother Kenneth E. Hagin, his ministry. Uh, and it'll always be that way, even though he's in heaven now. Because God, his ministry is the one that God used to train men and radically affect and change my life. And thoroughly scriptural, by the way. And I strongly encourage you, if you're not, if you're not familiar with that name, H-A-G-I-N, Reverend Kenneth E., you need to find out what God did in his life, what God, how God used him. But, you know, he was uh, mightily used of God in many, many arenas in the spirit. He had a healing ministry. Many were healed. Uh, people raised up, uh, stood in the office of the prophet. I mean, just miraculous things. But that's not what kept me with him. What impressed me the most was his love, his love walk, his love for the body of Christ. His love for God, His love for the Word, His love for people. His refusal to participate in anyone's downfall, no matter what they did to Him. 
See, the true mark of Christianity is not that you have a church you say you go to. Thank God for that. But there is a love, an agape, a divine love that's on the inside of you. Amen. Look at 1 John. You're in that chapter 420. 1 John 420 says this. If a man say, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. Let's interpret it this way. You won't do any injustice to the scripture. If a man say, I love God and hates his wife. He is a what? If a lady, if a wife says, I love God and hates her husband. She's a liar. We really ought to judge ourselves about this word hate. You ought to drive it out of your vocabulary. I mean, you shouldn't even hate broccoli. You ought to strongly dislike something, but using the word hate, you don't want to get friendly with that word. Maybe many of you do, and you didn't know, and I hadn't either. I'm going to watch myself. Hate is antithetical to the love of God. There's, there's one thing, I, there's a few things I allow myself to hate. I hate the devil. I hate demons. I hate the curse. I hate poverty. I hate sickness. That's about it. Anything of the devil, I'm going to hate. Amen? But I don't hate people. I don't hate black people. I love black people. I don't, I don't hate brown people. I love brown people. And, and you guys with a darker shade, you should not, not love white people. You better love white people. Come on now. Or you don't have the love of God in you. Well, but they did. I didn't. I, don't talk to me about what they did in my presence. I, I didn't. Don't put me in some other boat. And you can say you love God, but if you hate another race, you're a liar. I said you're a liar. I got a scripture for that. You see, again, the, the proof that you're the real deal is that you have divine love at work in you. You know, the Lord had to deal with me during this last election season. He kind of whispered to me, do you hate Democrats? Do you hate liberals? Do you hate people of the other party? I said, well, Father, I don't, I sure don't, I don't like what they, how they think. I, I don't like certain policies. I sure don't. He said, you better work on yourself because I love them. I love them all. I died for everybody. I'm like, yes, sir. That's hard for me to swallow my emotions. But that's absolute truth. It's more fun to pray for the political person when it's your guy that wins. But you're still supposed to pray. Love would pray for the, for the one that gets in there. Okay, I'm going to move on. Praise God. We'll get back into marriage. That was better. But he dealt with me. He said, listen, I love them. Do you love them? Pastor Nancy said this one time. She said that God told her, I will never send you as a minister. I will never be able to send you to minister to a person or a people group that you don't love. 
Do we want to reach the drug addict? Do we want to reach the homosexual? Do we want to reach the sex addict? Do we want to reach the, the guy on Skid Row? Do, right? Do we want to reach the drunk? God's never going to be able to send us to him if we don't love him. Now, Brett, you get paid to do this, so just give me a little pat on the back. Praise you, God. So get your page. I need a little encouragement. Let's get back a chapter to 1 John 3. 1 John 3. I can hear you whispering out there, vacation, vacation, vacation. It's 12 o'clock. We're almost done. Praise God. 1 John 3, 14. See, I never finish. I just have to stop. 1 John 3, 14, John said, we know that we have passed from death unto life. Now, this means eternal death unto eternal life. Because why? Because we love the brethren. See, again, these verses tell us love is the proof. Agape is the proof that our love is that our Christian walk is genuine. Because the love of God, not phileo, not Eros, but agape has been shed abroad into our hearts by the Holy Ghost. You see, you and I cannot love in our families or anyone like this on our own. Because if we try to love this way out of our fleshly nature, you can't do it. Because selfishness dominates this. You have to cultivate the love of God. Amen. Now perhaps we'll close, perhaps, in Ephesians chapter, um, no, Galatians, sorry. Galatians chapter 5. And I know you, we, we memorize these nine fruits, right, of the Spirit in uh, Sunday school. But in Galatians 5, verse 22, the Bible says, But the fruit of the Spirit is what? Love And really, I believe all the eight are really just descriptions of the love of God. The first fruit of the Spirit, the very first one that pops up is divine love. The fruit of the Spirit is love. And because the fruit of the Spirit is love, there's joy. Amen. Joy is attached to you walking in love. Peace, having peace. Amen. You want peace? We all want peace. Well, that's attached to walking in love. Notice this, long-suffering. Suffering long, being gentle. Amen. Goodness, faith. That, that word is uh, better translated faithfulness, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. I want you to see here that love, this love of God, is a fruit. Yes. Well, let's just quickly think about this. Fruit doesn't just, a mature orange doesn't just automatically appear on the branch, does it? No. It's a fruit. Fruit grows. Aren't you glad? Fruit can grow. An orange is cultivated. You plant the tree. You take care of the tree. The tree comes up. It's nurtured. The branches, amen, the branches receive from the life of the root. Where, do, where does fruit appear? On the root or the branch? On the branch. You remember John 15? Jesus said, I am the root. I am the vine. You are the branch. But he said, notice you can't produce anything, you can't produce any fruit apart from me. You have to maintain a living, abiding connection with me, and then you'll be able to bear the fruit of love, my love. 
This is why you ought to have time with Jesus before you interact with your spouse. You need to stay connected to the vine. If you recognize, like I do, everyone, that I don't, I'm not, I'm not living, I'm not, I'm not loving my wife with perfect divine agape love yet. Amen. Well, I need to make sure that I stay connected to the life source that grows the fruit. It shows up on my, I'm a branch, it shows up on my branch. But it's only going to show up as I maintain a living connection with the root. And I partake of Jesus and then I let that flow out to my spouse. I partake of the love of Jesus and I let that flow out to my church family. I partake of the love of Jesus and I let it flow out towards my kids. So you can't love this way apart from a connection with Jesus. And I mean more of a connection than you're just an arbitrary, he's my savior, my name's written in a book somewhere. No, but you know him and you're walking with him, you have a relationship with him. See, I remain in Jesus, then I receive what He has for me, and then I can reproduce it. Remain, receive, reproduce. That's John 15 in three R's. You remain connected to Him, you receive all He is. Then you can reproduce that on your branch. But listen, all of us, we grow this fruit of love. Now, how do we grow it? Maybe we close with it. How can we grow in the love of God? Well, you have to... Like I said, maintain your relationship with Jesus. But you have to feed your inner man on the Word. Feed the inner man on the Word of God. That's why I asked you to spend time this week in 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 through 8 in the Amplified, because there we have the definition of what the love of God is, what the love of God does, what the love of God does not do. And then what you have to do is you have to renew your mind to that. You have to feed on that. You have to put that into your heart. And then you have to just purpose, okay, here I go. Where is she? <laughs> the love of God does not seek its own. And maybe just focus on that one part of divine love all day long. When was the last time you did something for your mate and it wasn't for a selfish reason? You weren't looking for a kickback. You weren't looking for a response. You weren't about to ask her for money to buy a new shotgun. But you did something just for her. There was no self-seeking behind it. Just because the love of God would do that. (laughs) Praise God. The supernatural. Amen. So much of what Selfish love does, it does something kind because it's working something. I want something. I need something. So I'm going to schmooze them. I'm going to pull a lever. I'm going to push a button to get what I want. Well, you're not, you're not loving the way God loves him. Because he just bestows his love so abundantly. Whether you accept it or reject it or receive it or say thank you, he's the same. He's just going to keep putting the love of God out. And that's what a pastor ought to do. Whether a pastor ever gets appreciated, whether ever he gets a pat on the back, whether he gets a Pentecostal handshake or not, his job is to lay his life down for the people, love the people, pray for the people, all the people. The ones that like him, the ones that don't like him, the, the faithful ones, the unfaithful ones. But do you see, we can all, and we should all, be growing in the love of God. But we cultivate it like a fruit. We grow it. We water it. We fertilize it. You grow anything by learning about it, thinking about it, and practicing it. Putting it into practice. This love's not going to just show up in your marriage because 
God put it in you. You have to make a demand on it. You have to decide. No self. And yes to the love of God. How many of you spouses, you want your wife, you want your husband to stay true to you, have eyes for only you, just you, faithful to you forever? You know what I've decided? Thinking about this. That means that no one on the planet better treat her better than I do. I'm failing as a husband if there's anyone that honors, is kind, treats, dotes upon, talks up, you know, if there's anyone on the earth that does that more than me, I'm failing. No one better be more generous with her than me. No one better be more sweet to her than me. And Dr. Dufresne used to tell us, y'all better be sweet to couples. Because if you don't, somebody will be. If you don't want them, somebody does. How about that for an assignment, mates? Look around. Is there anyone in that person's life treating them better than you? Because somebody will. Like Dr. DeFrame, echoing him from heaven. Better be sweet. Sweet to your mate, because if you won't, somebody at the office will be sweet to him. Somebody that they know somewhere will see what you have forgot. And if that person doesn't have a real strong character and someone starts talking sweet to them, this is how you end up with an adultery deal going on. Because people love being made to feel valued and wanted and special. Okay, praise God. (laughs) Let's bow our heads today. Father, I didn't get to where I thought I might get today, but I believe it was good and we got out enough that would get us to thinking some more. Lord, in coming services, help us to be able to highlight the definition, put handles on the love of God for all of us, that we can really see how the love of God manifests itself in human relationships.